when diabetes is out of control, it affects your eyes, your kidneys, your extremities. It subtracts more than 10 years off of your life uh, on average. And we now know how to get this back into balance far better than we ever could have before. back to the podcast hope you're doing great hope you're having an amazing day whether you're at home listening to the podcast if you're on a commute or a bike ride or whatever it is hope you're doing great and i hope that your first free one month trial of 2020 has been going great are you ready for the next 11 months i definitely am i think i think this year's going great so far um january was so productive for me I've knocked out so many awesome interviews. I can't wait to share with you guys on this podcast. Are you on target with your 2020 New Year's resolution? You still at it? I hope you are. I hope that goal is still clear and that you're still focused on it. One of the biggest hurdles people face is that they try to incorporate fitness as their New Year's resolution, that they want to lose weight or gain muscle. And typically around this time now where it's February, Most people have dropped their New Year's resolution because it was just a fad. It was not an actual goal that they had a set plan on. It was just something that they wanted to achieve spontaneously with the new year. Hopefully, you're not like that. Hopefully, you know about serious lifestyle change if you're following me and you're listening to this podcast. That's what we're all about. One of the supporters of this podcast is an app called FitBod and it's seriously the best fitness app out there. I've been using the app for I would say probably two years now. It's been keeping me on my target. It's been keeping me on track. What FitBod does if you haven't heard about it, it takes into consideration all the gym equipment that it's available to you, the amount of time you want to spend working out, the type of workouts that you want to do, whether upper body, lower body, you want to do powerlifting, whatever it is, it takes all that into consideration. It generates a custom workout for you. It'll tell you every day what you need to do according to the things that you input, as well as your muscle fatigue. It's not going to give you leg day twice in a row. And after all that, it puts the workout that you completed into a log. And you can also link FitBod to other apps. Like, for example, if you have an iPhone like me, you can link it to Apple Health. And when you go into Apple Health, you can see all the calories that you burned. You can also connect it with other apps like Strava. And all your friends can check out the workouts that you did. So it's really cool. And I highly recommend you guys check it out if you haven't already. If you head to fitbod.me slash bananiac, that's F-I-T-B-O-D dot M-E slash B-A-N-A-N-I-A-C. Not only will you get a sweet discount thanks to FitBod, but you'll also get a free trial, which you guys can check out before you commit to FitBod. So at least get the free trial, see if you like it. But if you're struggling with the diet aspect of your lifestyle, definitely check out my ebook bananiac simple vegan recipes on bananiac.com slash shop and you guys can download my ebook on there and i have 25 simple vegan all plant-based recipes on there that i make regularly i mean this is very simple stuff i am not a chef i do not know how to make very complicated things all i know is how to make simple yet healthy vegan recipes and they all taste amazing and they take very little time to make. And that's why I made this ebook is because I know there's a ton of awesome vegan cookbooks out there, but they may take a little bit longer than what you would want. So I wanted to make something that doesn't take long to prepare or complicate things too much. It's very simple and straightforward to follow. And if you guys do end up heading to bananiac.com, You guys can see on there that I have a banner to Amazon, which you guys can click on and do all of your Amazon shopping. You don't have to pay a single cent more, but if you use that banner, Amazon will kick me back a little bit to help support this podcast. Same with Audible. You guys can click on the Audible banner, takes you to Audible. You guys can download your favorite audiobooks, listen to them, 
while supporting this podcast. So you guys can find all of that on Bananiac.com as well as any of the show notes to any of these podcast episodes on there. And if you guys don't mind taking just a few seconds out of your day, if anything, I would really appreciate if you guys can go on Apple Podcasts to This Is Bananas and give it a five-star rating if you like the guests and the topics that I cover on this podcast. By giving the podcast a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, it gets the podcast in front of more people. That way more people can listen to this message and spread it around. Today's guest is none other than Dr. Neil Barnard, the founder of the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. He's also the author of more books than the number of years that I've been vegan. Seriously, an inspiring man. He's been such an inspiration to me for so many years since I first went vegan. He was featured in Forks Over Knives. He's done a vast amount of research into diabetes and reversing it with a plant-based diet. His recent work is on hormones, which he goes more into with his new book, your body in balance. And you guys may not know this, but also Dr. Neil Barnard is a freaking rock star. He's in a band. It's called Carbon Works and he plays guitar. So we're going to talk about all of that, you guys. Super excited to have him on the show. Oh, and I should mention he's on tour right now. So if you guys want to see Dr. Neil Barnard and meet him in person, definitely check at pcrm.org and maybe get him to sign a, a copy of his brand new book. How cool would that be, right? Anyway, let's get into this episode. We talk about a lot of interesting topics regarding nutrition and health. So hope you guys enjoy this one. And here is Dr. Neil Barnard. I am here with Dr. Neil Barnard from the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. Thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Great to be with you. And uh, I, I hear uh, word on the street is that you're on Instagram now at Dr. Neil Barnard. Yep. Glad to, and glad to be with our Instagram friends. Good, good. Yeah, I think you're going to have a uh, really good success with that, reaching more people. And uh, I can't wait to, to start following you on there. Super. Yeah, Dr. Barnard, uh, you know, so I've been a huge fan of yours uh, for many years and have volunteered at PCRM and have been following your work for a long time. And I tell you what, one of the most surprising things about you is um, not, you know, it's it's where you came from. Um, you grew up in Fargo, North Dakota. Uh, I hear that you grew up on a uh, dairy farm, if I'm correct. Can you go into that story and um, kind of explain to people your background and, and where you came from before all of this had started? Well, you all, we all have to grow up somewhere. <laughs> and so... And we all make choices in our lives. I grew up in Fargo, as you said, <clears throat> and uh, my my dad actually was in the cattle business um, in his early part of life, and 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 his father and his father, frankly, as far back as I could trace, and his brothers and my cousins and everybody. But but <clears throat> I'm very grateful to my dad because he did not like the cattle business and he left it, and so um, he went to medical school after that, and then he became the diabetes expert for Fargo, and for all of Eastern North Dakota, and. Um, we still ate like we were in the cattle business. And I personally drove cattle to slaughter um, and hunted and all that kind of stuff, which I now um, would not do, certainly, um, and regret. Uh, but um, when my father was a physician, um, he, became, he, was, he was the diabetes expert, as I mentioned, and he never once ever came, in, came home and said, I'm setting my bag down. I cured three people with diabetes today. It never happened. Um, diabetes was just something that got gradually worse. And of course, now from our own research, we've discovered that we can make it a two-way street, but to do that depends not on a new medication. Uh, it depends on changing your diet because that zeroes in on the cause of the problem. And so my message now is it isn't just diabetes. It's all kinds of stuff. It's major stuff like uh, heart disease, cancer, uh, stroke, but also the things that are minor annoyances from day to day, like menstrual cramps or fertility problems or in guys, erectile dysfunction, all of these things, which we think are, oh, it's a Viagra deficiency or whatever. Uh, -uh. It's, it's related to what's on your plate. So that gives us power. Gotcha. And it sounds like your father had a great influence on you for following the medicine path. Um, it's funny how these things end up. I don't know how how I got into to uh, becoming a diabetes uh, person like my father, uh, but uh, maybe maybe these genetic and cultural things play tricks on us. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and and you're very busy these days. Uh, you're um, you were just in Richmond yesterday. I had people messaging me who came out and and saw you speak. And you're on a you have a brand new book out. It's called uh, um, uh, Your Body in Balance, and it's about hormones. If I'm correct, it's coming out very soon in uh, in February. Um, so uh, could you talk a little bit about about your new book as well as why you decided to write about hormone health? Yeah. Um, in fact, let me show you. Here, here it is. This is here it is. It's called your body in balance. And the whole idea is that we're not in balance and we got to get our bodies into balance. But the way that it started, I was sitting here at my desk years ago and the phone rang and it was a young woman who said, Dr. Barnard, I need your help. I can't get out of bed. And I said, what do you mean? What's the problem? And many women have cramps, menstrual cramps, but for maybe one in 10, they are just off the scale. And this was her situation. And she had a business trip the next day. She says, I can't, I can't function. Um, could I give her some painkillers? And I thought, yeah, I can. But then I, I started thinking, let me do that. But, but what can we do to stop this from happening again the next month? And so what I prescribed for her was something I don't think any doctor has ever prescribed for menstrual cramps before. But I said, okay, no animal products in your diet at all for the next month. If, you, if you're willing to try this, I'm going to make you a vegan. And also keep the oils out of your diet. So if you're eating greasy stuff, um, fried foods, don't do that. Um, and I can tell you why I suggested that. But anyway, uh, she called me back a month later and she said, Dr. Brown, you won't believe this. I got my period, no symptoms at all, no pain, nothing. And then the month after that, same story, the month after that, same story. But then if she would uh, violate violate the diet, so to speak, with more greasy food or whatever, her pain would come back. So um, I then did a study with Georgetown University's Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology, and we found that the diet didn't work just for this person, but it works for lots of people. Um, and, it, and it's not just cramps, but it's also PMS, uh, bloating and, and feeling like you're not yourself. Um, these things improve. Now, for some women, they, they improve a little. For some women, they improve a lot uh, or just go away. Um, but nobody knows about it. How many women are at the pharmacy counter looking for painkillers and hormonal treatments and, and so forth, never knowing that this can help? And then for guys, I cannot tell you how many times a day in the United States and elsewhere in the world, a guy goes into the doctor and he says, Doc, uh, there's something wrong with my nature. Uh, and the doctor says, uh, what are you thinking about? And he says, well, uh, Doc, um, I, I can't raise the flag. And eventually the doctor knows he's asking for a Viagra prescription. So the doctor writes him out a Viagra prescription and the, the patient winks at him and says, thank you very much um, and, and go and leaves. That's the biggest mistake that doctor could ever have made. And if the doctor thinks about it for about 30 seconds, he will drop his pen, race out the door and chase that patient down and bring him back in and say, wait, 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 I forgot to tell you something really, really important, which is that Viagra might allow you to function sexually tonight. But the reason that you have erectile dysfunction is not that you've got performance anxiety. Um, or it's because you have atherosclerosis. In other words, you've got narrowed arteries, not just to your private parts, but you probably have the same narrowed arteries to your heart and to your brain. If you narrow the arteries to a man's private parts, he just doesn't have the blood flow to get an erection. But if you narrow the arteries to his heart, or to his brain, he can have a heart attack, he can have a stroke. And so men who are who have the onset of erectile dysfunction in midlife are at very high risk of a heart attack or stroke. So what the doctor now says, you can use the Viagra, but you've got to change your diet. Um, otherwise, you are going to die, um, very likely. Um, or you could have, anyway, here, here's my point. How many guys filling out a Viagra prescription have any idea that they have heart disease? They don't know because, because erectile dysfunction is the first sign of it. How many women know that, that they could get into better balance? So I thought, nobody knows these things. So let me tell people. And, and you're right. I was in Richmond yesterday. We had a great group of people. Very, very enthusiastic. Um, so uh, I, think, I think this is a message that, that's resonating with people. Uh, stay out of the clinic a little bit more. Take a few, maybe fewer medications and see what you can do uh, with healthier food. That's perfect. I mean, when I got into this about a decade ago, I had no idea about any of this to think that nutrition couldn't affect someone's sexual health. Um, I thought it was just something that you gained or lost weight. That's what I thought of diet. And I didn't know uh, the impact that it had on other aspects of health. Um, a follow up question. And I don't know if, if you would 
know the answer to this, but you talked a little bit about um, women and their menstrual cycles. Um, do you know about anything about how diet might affect fertility, for example? Is there um, any research on that? I, I'm just curious. Uh, yes, and th th there is. And it's an evolving research uh, area. But um, in, earlier, I mentioned the research study that we did with Georgetown University's Department of OBGYN. And the point of the study was not fertility. The point of the study was just menstrual cramps. And we found that, that a vegan diet helped menstrual cramps. But, but we learned something surprising in that study. Um, we asked all of the women who were in the research study to not use any hormonal medications because we were studying the effects of the diet on, on hormones and cramps. And if so if they were taking hormone medications like the birth control pill, that would goof up our, our results. So we said, if you're sexually active, please use some other form of contraception. One of the women in the study said, don't worry about me. My, she and her husband um, had given up the idea of having a baby years earlier. She said, we were, we, were, we were both evaluated and it's not him, it's me. I don't ovulate, it just, it, you know, it's just not gonna happen. So we don't use the pill, we don't use anything. I'm infertile. Well, the second month that she was on this healthy vegan diet that we were using, she came in and she said, Dr. Bernard, I got some news. I am pregnant. <laughs> she, she, was, she, she thought she was permanently infertile. No, no, not, not only was she pregnant, and she gave birth to a healthy, beautiful baby. But uh, several years later, I was giving a lecture in another city. I didn't know she had moved to that city. She came to my lecture. She had three kids now. Um, and um, I'll, let me give you another, another uh, example. There's uh, a woman I describe in your body and balance. Her name is Catherine. She, she, by the way, these are all real people. Um, Catherine uh, lives in Dallas now, but at the time she grew up in Louisiana. She was an Air Force aerospace engineer. They shipped her off to Iraq in 2003 to build the military bases there. And when you're in a war zone, you're working hard and you're not eating much, you know, you don't get any weight. She finishes her tour of duty. They send her back to Louisiana. And her friends say, Catherine, what did, what did you miss when you were in Iraq? She said, I got to tell you, you know what I really missed? I missed cheese. I missed mac and cheese. I missed my Louisiana favorites. So she started tucking into all the most unhealthy foods, especially cheese, uh, queso, that kind of stuff. Well, she started gaining weight. Oh, in fact, one of her friends knew that she loved those mac and cheese box dinner things and gave, gave her, an, yeah, the, the ones that college sophomores eat, they gave her an entire case of them. That's 48 boxes. And she ate them for 48 days straight. A anyway, so Catherine gained weight. But as time went on, she didn't just gain weight. She started to get pain in her abdomen. And she noticed it was getting worse and it was getting worse. And then it would especially well up when around the time of her period. And then it would relax a little bit, but never be really gone. And then it would come back again. Um, anyway, so she, she, she saw lots of doctors. And to make a long story short, a doctor did a laparoscopy, which is you make an incision below the belly button and you look inside to see. And the doctor said, well, your problem is you have endometriosis. Endometriosis is, for, for many women, an extraordinarily painful condition where cells that are supposed to line the uterus sneak out. They sneak through the fallopian tubes and they implant all around the abdomen. Um, they implant on the intestinal tract. They can implant on, on the ovaries and on the fallopian tubes. They often cause infertility and terrible pain. And this is what she had. So no medical treatments were working for her. Painkillers didn't work. Uh, hormone treatments didn't work. So the doctor said, well, you ought to just have a hysterectomy. You're infertile anyway, probably, you know, just do this. And she didn't want to have a hysterectomy because she and her husband hadn't raised their family yet, but she couldn't live like this. So she says, all right. So she scheduled the hysterectomy and it was going to be in about six weeks. Um, before she could have it, a friend said, wait a minute, wait, 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 go see a nutritionist and see if there's something about your diet. She went on a completely vegan diet, exactly what we recommend. Uh, no animal products. She kept the oils very low and she started noticing her pain would diminish and it went down and down and down. Six weeks arrived and it was the day for her surgery. So she dutifully went in and the doctor opened her up and looked inside. And then the doctor closed her up and sent her to the recovery room. And when she woke up from anesthesia, the anesthesia, the doctor said, Catherine, I didn't do it. I didn't do the hysterectomy. She says, what do you mean? 
He said, your, your endometriosis is effectively gone. And so her mother is there, and her mother chimes in. She's been vegan. She, she went on this healthy diet. Well, and the doctor said, no, 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 no. There, there's no way that diet, it doesn't cause endometriosis. And there's no way that a plant-based diet or any other diet is going to make it go away. The only possible explanation is this is a miracle. So she didn't have the hysterectomy. And she, she thought she was infertile. She was not infertile. She had, she's got three kids now. Um, they're all healthy. So, by the way, what, what I've kind of left out of the story is why this works. So, can I can I say a word about that? Absolutely, yes, please. Okay, because it, it's not really magic. Um, wh- what happens is a woman has estrogens, female sex hormones, that determine her sexual uh, cycle. Men have traces of estrogens too, when they have more testosterone. Women have a little bit of testosterone, but a lot of estrogen. Um, if you have uh, estrogen out of balance, you got too much. Um, or it's on a big roller coaster, uh, you don't ovulate normally, um, and you get terrible pain. And the reason that that too much estrogen will cause cramps is that every month the end the the lining of the uterus called the endometrium thickens up in the course of the month uh, in anticipation of a blessed event. And at the end of the month, that thickened lining disintegrates in menstrual flow. And when it does, it causes crampy pain. But the more estrogen you've got in the blood, the more thickening you have of that endometrial lining, the more pain you're going to have at the end of the month. Um, and also that same estrogen causes the, it encourages uh, the endometriosis to occur and to spread and to grow. So how does the vegan diet help? Well, first of all, it's every everything you are eating on a plant-based diet. You're not eating spam. You're not eating Velveeta. You're eating foods from plants. Plants have fiber. And fiber has a way of drawing excess estrogen out of your body. And this will not be on a test, but here's what happens. Um, Your liver filters excess estrogen out of your blood. And it sends it through the bile duct into the intestines. And so the estrogen goes into the intestinal tract and it, it literally flushes, you're flushing it away with the waste. So if you have a lot of fiber in your diet, it can carry that estrogen out. And that's good. But let's say people are making the mistake of having a meaty diet, cheesy diet, yogurt, milk, salmon, all that stuff. These are not plants. They don't have fiber. So you don't have enough fiber in your digestive tract. You end up reabsorbing the estrogens back into your blood, and it circles, circulates around and around and around, causing infertility and pain and all kinds of other problems. Um, and the, the same thing, same kind of thing can happen with men as well. Um, and, and one last thing. If you're on a vegan diet, you are not eating one speck of cheese. Now, Americans love cheese. Um, they eat 35 pounds of it a year, but cheese does not love them back. Cheese has hormones in it. It's got estrogens in it that came from the cow. And if a man consumes this, his sperm count in some research studies has been shown to be lower. Um, and if women can consume this, uh, the estrogens affect their health in a variety of ways too. So in a nutshell, Building your diet on plants gets your body back in balance. Wow, that that is amazing. I'm speechless. Like this is all brand new info to me. And the more you know, I learn about nutrition, the more I find out the possibilities just keep expanding on what we're learning about and what the impact diet can have on the human body. It's, it's truly amazing, and and I love that. Um, the I, I wanted to go into a little bit about diabetes with you, Doctor Bernard, because. You've done a lot of work with that, and uh, obviously, insulin is another hormone that's you know popular and talked about a lot. So, um, can you talk a little bit about maybe type one versus type two diabetes for those who may not know the difference, and uh, kind of talk a little bit about the research about what you've learned with dietary intervention in diabetes? Yes, exactly. Um, uh, as you said, insulin is a hormone too, and that's the whole point of your body in balance is you want to get your estrogens in balance, your testosterone in balance, your thyroid hormone in balance, and your insulin in balance. Um, and type 1 diabetes is where the blood sugar is rising because the cells that make insulin are dead. Your, your pancreas is behind your navel, and it's for some reasons in some people the insulin producing cells are killed off. And so there's no more insulin anymore. And you need insulin to act like a key to open the muscle cells or open the liver cells to let glucose go out of the blood into the cells. 
If the insulin's gone, the glucose can't get in. And so that's bad in a couple ways. If, if glucose can't power your muscles anymore, you lose strength. Um, and if it builds up in the blood, that elevated blood sugar can be bad for you too. Now type two diabetes is a little bit different. It's much more common uh, than type one. The insulin is still being made in the pancreas, but now what's happening is that the cells are resisting it. So the insulin molecule goes to the muscle cell, just like a key in a lock, but the key can't open the lock. Somehow the lock is jammed. And we now know what it's jammed with. It's, if you go to um, a scanning facility and do an MR spectroscopy, this costs $2,000 a test, but so d d I wouldn't encourage you to do this, but we can look inside your muscles and your liver and we can find out, we, we can see what's in there. What is inside the muscle cells is fat, uh, microscopic fat particles that stop insulin from working. That comes from diet. So you don't think of it, you have a, a, a bacon cheeseburger. How tasty is that? Wonderful. Well, well, fat from the bacon and the meat and the, the burger and the cheese, the fat particles go into the bloodstream and they then enter the muscle cells and the liver cells and they very gradually accumulate. And the more they build up, the more insulin has trouble working. So in 2003, the National Institutes of Health gave my research team a grant to test whether a low-fat vegan diet could reverse this process. And the answer is it does. And it works better than any other diabetes diet. And it, when, when we did this, I mean, this is what, 17 years ago, uh, people were just astounded. No, number one, the diabetes could go away. Number two, number two, that it goes away without worrying about carbohydrate or calories. You know, our people were not, um, they, they weren't on these low calorie diets and they weren't saying no to, to bananas and, and apples and fruit the way sometimes people do. They were eating abundant amounts of these things. It was a very satisfying diet, the easiest diabetes diet you've ever had, but the results were dramatically better. Um, the, uh, the improvement in blood sugar control, which we measure with a, uh, a test called A1C, was 300% better than on the best current diet at that time. So it's a good way to go. And, and I have a whole diabetes chapter in your body and balance. And I really hope that people will share that with others who are, frankly, struggling with diabetes. Um, when diabetes is out of control, it affects your eyes, your kidneys, your extremities. It subtracts more than 10 years off of your life uh, on average. And we now know how to get this back into balance far better than we ever could have before. Yeah, I mean, I remember when I was growing up, I was seeing my grandfather struggle with diabetes. He would stick his finger every day, measure his blood sugar while scraping the, you know, the rice and, and the other healthy starches off his uh, plate and would eat just the meat and that sort of stuff. And that's a general concept. Most people are, are thinking that way. Oh, I'm going to toss the bun off my burger, but I'll eat the burger and the cheese and I'll be fine which is such, it's so sad. And, and, to, and to see people not eat fruit because of that. Um, and do you, do you feel, Dr. Bernard, the whole misconception about avoiding carbohydrates, is that just because of the symptoms like the medical prof profession would see when people would eat carbs and their um, blood sugar would rise and stay like that? Yeah, um, it's, it's an understandable misconception because uh, if a person's, let's say a person has the buildup of fat inside their muscle cells and liver cells, they're not aware of that. Their doctor never heard about it, that they, 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 they didn't realize that. But at that, at that point, if the fat is inside the muscle and liver cells, sugar can't get in. So then you eat some bread and your blood sugar rises and you eat some rice and your blood sugar rises or you eat an apple and your blood sugar rises. And so people stop eating those. The problem is, what are they doing? They're then eating the meat or the cheese instead, um, and their blood sugar may not rise so much because there isn't really carbohydrate in those foods. Um, but those foods aggravate the problem and make it worse and worse. And because diabetes leads to heart disease and to kidney disease and to eye diseases, those are the very foods that are going to kill them over the long run. So what we did is we said, forget all of that. Let's go to the cause, which is let's drain the fat out of your cells. So with a vegan diet, there's no animal fat at all. And if you keep oils low, that fat starts to, to diminish. Now, a person comes in, they start the vegan diet on Monday, and then they have some rice or some beans, and their blood sugar might rise a little bit for the first few days um, because they're still pretty insulin resistant. But then by about Friday or Saturday or something like that, they start having a surprise. They're, they're sticking their finger, and they notice their fasting blood sugar is lower than it's been in years. 
and they keep they stick with this and their blood sugar goes down and down and down and down and then they call their doctor uh, because one morning their blood sugar was so low that they're now shaking and sweating and the doctor said you're hypoglycemic and the, the patient says why is there something about the diet and the, the doctor says you're apparently on the world's greatest diet you're on too much insulin now i got to back you off your medication because you don't need them anymore so the patient's on 20 units of insulin and the doctor cuts them down to 16 and then a week later, cuts them down to 14 and 12. And, and eventually, many people get off uh, their medications or reduce their amounts a great deal. So people should work with their doctors, but they should definitely use this approach because we want to target the cause. We don't want to just deal with the, just the symptom. Yeah, that's crazy. So something that somebody would suffer from for years, maybe their whole life, like in about a week or two weeks, you're, you're telling me they could be off their meds and on a, a healthy lifestyle. Well, I didn't mean to say you're going to be off all medications in two weeks. What I meant to say is that the, the, the process begins that fast. Um, and it varies. For different people, it's different. Uh, for some, it takes maybe three or four days before they start seeing their blood sugar drop. For some, maybe a little bit longer. But for many, um, right away on the first day, they'll, they'll start seeing their blood sugar improving first day or two. Um, but you stick with it. For, for many people, I mean, it took them a, a while to get there. And so it will take them a while to... We have patients who have 100 pounds that they need to lose. Um, they will start improving and they'll start losing weight right away. But I encourage people to take it slow. If you lose a pound a week, that's fine by me. You lose 50 pounds, 52 pounds a year, great. You know, you don't have to push it, um, but let it happen gradually. But, but I want to say a word of encouragement. There is never a time when it's too late. Um, we did a study in people who had had longstanding diabetes to the point where it was causing neuropathy. That's, that's pain in your, your, your feet, like pins and needles or stabbing pains. Uh, for some people with neuropathy, it's so bad they can't lie down in bed and have the sheets touch their feet. It's just excruciating. And, and along with it, you get depressed. You feel like, I'm not living. I mean, you just don't see a light at the end of the tunnel with that, and there isn't one. So um, we did a study when people who had late-stage diabetes, they all had painful neuropathy. And we brought them in and we did the same dietary intervention. We started seeing neuropathy improving, um, which people, I mean, people hadn't expected. Um, there was a guy, I'll never forget, he was a, a, a musician, bass player. And he said, this neuropathy is killing me. After, after a couple of songs, you know, he was performing his band. After a couple of songs, he'd have to turn his back to the audience, shake his hands out because the neuropathy was, was damaging his sense of touch. Um, so he's, he's in, the, he's, he's in the vegan group. He's getting better and better and he's losing weight and he's getting his energy back and he started to discover he could play his bass again. Um, but then a little while after that, he says it gets, gets better. His erectile dysfunction went away. Um, you know, high fives all around. Um, so the, the point being everybody gets a different effect, but you don't want to miss it. Um, and there is never a time when it's too late. I agree. Yeah, you couldn't have said that better. Um, with with type one diabetes, and correct me if I'm wrong, that's more of a uh, a, a permanent um, situation where people have to manage that. Um, is there? Yeah. Um, are there any improvements with type one when they change their diet and uh, with with them having to take insulin daily, multiple times throughout the day, I'm sure. Um, are there vegan sources of uh, uh, insulin that you would recommend? Okay, no, that, that's, that's a, a great question. Um, first of all, people with type one should do the very same diet that I just described, vegan diet, low in, and very low in fat. Um, and for two reasons, number one, you'll, you'll discover that they need less insulin. Um, everybody is different. But on it, we typically we see maybe a 30, 40 percent reduction in their insulin requirement. And that's because even well, well you can't get them off insulin um, because their body is not making it anymore. So they, they do need to inject. Um, but that insulin has to then get to their muscles and get to their liver. And if they are still filled with fat particles, then they need extra insulin, which they shouldn't otherwise have. But the more important reason for a person with type one to go on a vegan diet or plant based diet is What's going to kill them is not a high blood sugar. What's going to kill them is cardiovascular disease, a, a heart attack or a stroke um, and various complications, renal com kidney complications. So you don't you, you want to baby your arteries. You don't want any cholesterol. You don't want any animal fat in your in your body. You want to be on on the diet that you would give to a heart patient because that's effectively what they what they are. Um, now, you asked, is there a vegan source of insulin? 
Um, all in, insulin used to be animal derived, um, but all, all common insulins now are um, are synthetic. Um, so that's not a not an issue. But but they're expensive. Um, they're all expensive. There's no generic insulin at all. So you're paying through the roof for it. So if I can uh, help you to minimize the amount, that's a good thing. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for that. Um, all right. And uh, now I want to transition a little bit into um, more of the, the, the food addiction people have. Um, you know, how can we get people off a standard American diet now eating a healthy vegan diet? And you've written about this before in The Cheese Trap. Uh, breaking the food seduction. So um, my question to you is, Dr. Bernard, uh, what can people do to fight food cravings? Yeah. Uh, um, well, first of all, um, if you have food cravings or you're feeling like I'm addicted to sugar or cheese or whatever, um, the first thing that I want to say is a, a word of reassurance. You, you are, it's not your bad childhood upbringing that is, it, that is making you into a food addict. You know, people will all say, oh, you know, I've, I've, I've had trauma in my life and um, whatever. I've just got no willpower. Let me tell you something. Everybody, every, every single person is vulnerable to food addictions. I don't care who you are. And the reason is whether you had a good upbringing, bad upbringing, whether you're alone, whether you're angry, all these things. Um, yes, those things can fuel food addictions, but the food companies themselves have teams of people working long and hard to addict everybody. Um, the, the chocolate manufacturers, they know exactly the right mixture of sugar and cocoa butter that makes them absolutely irresistible. So you do not have willpower that is made of cast iron. This can happen to anybody. So um, if meat and cheese have got you trapped and you're gaining weight before your very eyes and you're thinking, you know, I'm, I'm also not very healthy and I want to do better. And I, I frankly, I wouldn't mind doing this vegan diet Dr. Brown is talking about. Let, let me share share with you how to how to break out. Um, Two steps. And, and I've never seen anyone unable to do this. It's very simple. Um, step one, take seven days. During these seven days, one week, don't take anything out of your diet. You're not going to become a vegan this week. What you're going to do is try vegan foods. What do I mean? Uh, take a piece of paper and write breakfast, lunch, dinner, snack on your paper. And you've got seven days to fill out plant-based items under each category. So for breakfast, okay, um, let's see, oatmeal, but it's, I, I, let me flavor it up with some cinnamon and raisins, make it good. Um, okay, I could have veggie sausage. My friend likes that, I never tried it. You got seven days, try it. Um, if every day you splash uh, cow's milk on your cornflakes, try almond milk. It, if it's good, you write it down. If it's not good, if you don't like it, leave it off. Um, so for lunch, okay, I'm going to Subway and every day I'm going to make me a chicken, grilled chicken sandwich. Could I, could I get a vegan one? Yeah, sure. Okay. So pile my sandwich with lettuce and tomatoes and cucumbers and spinach and onions and little red wine vinegar and toast it for me and call it veggie delight, whatever. So for seven days, you're thinking about vegan foods and you're writing them on your list. By seven days, you'll have lots of choices, including fast foods and restaurants and things you'll buy at the grocery store. That's step one. Step two take three three weeks, 21 days. Now you're gonna go all vegan for 21 days, no animal products at all. But that's gonna be easy because it's only 21 days, three weeks, you can do anything for three weeks. Plus you already pre-tested all the foods. So you've got breakfast that you like and you've got lunches and dinners and even things at fast foods that you, that you like because you figured them out in the first step. And two things will have happened by the end of three weeks. Physically, you're healthier. You've lost weight and your energy's better and your digestion is finally sorting itself out. And if you've got diabetes, your, your blood sugar is getting better. But the, uh, the, the other thing is that your tastes are changing. If you really did this right, you discover that the things you couldn't live without just don't call your name that much anymore. And um, during this time, I would suggest not worrying too much about um, sugar or salt or those kinds of things. That's more for extra credit if you want to deal with that later. If you have a soda every day, you know, that's that's something you can break up with maybe afterward. Um, but what you'll find is that the transition is, is a lot easier than, say, quitting smoking or other things that are that are more challenging for people. Yeah, perfect. That sounds very feasible. Um, you take a little uh, some time to try out some things. Once you got a game game plan, you go for it. Um, but but I can tell you, Dr. Bernard, I think vegans can still get in trouble, too, when they transition over, give up all meat and dairy and eggs. Um 
you know, then then they might get into, you know, like chocolate. And I'll tell you for me, like I'm I'm fairly disciplined, but I'm still human. You know, I, I crave like potato chips or something salty every now and then. Um, what can people do uh, who have transitioned over to a vegan diet, but want to stay out of trouble and, and kind of away from those unhealthy foods? Sure. Um, first of all, I should say that it's not true that a person who is, is on a really super healthy meat diet and then they become vegan and they suddenly become a junkaholic. It, it, that's, that's not what happens. Um, if you like potato chips now as a vegan, the truth is you liked them before you were vegan too. Um, it's just that we discover that there's other things that don't love us back in addition to the problems with meat and cheese and so forth. So, well, first of all, you've done a great thing. Um, if a person gets the animal products off their diet, that's fantastic. Um, that's gonna help you enormously. But then just as exactly what you're saying is you're discovering, wait a minute, maybe there's some other changes I'd like to make too. Potato chips. You know, your average kid thinks potato chips are fine. You know, most people don't think twice about them, but you're thinking, wait a minute, what is it? It's an innocent potato now soaked in grease and covered with salt. Maybe I can do better. Um, what I suggest that a person does is size up which foods you want to get rid of. And you'll discover um, that it's easier to actually set up a rule and just not have it rather than tease yourself. Here's what I mean. Some people say moderation in all things. And I, I'm a child of the 1960s where we didn't want to have any kind of rules about anything. We didn't want to be told what to do. I have discovered that there are times where rules are actually good. And if, if you think that there's something that's causing you a problem, um, it's better to just not have it at all than to tease yourself with it. To give you a couple of examples, if a person's a smoker, and they say, I would just, I am just so hooked. I, I would really like to quit. They don't do very well if they cut down and have just a cigarette a day. They end up right back to a pack. But if they just don't have it and they just bite their lip, you know, after about a month, they got power they, did, they wouldn't otherwise have. It's putting a wall between you and the bad thing is important. Or somebody who, where, where alcohol's gotten the better, better, better of them um, and they're having trouble with their job and everything like that, that's a person who's not going to be a very good social drinker. It, they're often just better saying, like, let me not have that. Now, barbecue potato chips are not in the same category as those things, but it's kind of the same dynamic, where if you're thinking, you know, I, I'd like to knock off a few pounds and maybe these greasy chips are getting in my way or whatever the case, or my blood pressure is high, let me get rid of the salt. Fine. If, if that's your goal, fair enough. Um, so you might just decide, okay, for this month, I'm just not going to have them. And at the end of that month, your tastes are, are turned way down. Now, the devil is always waiting around the corner. So um, cravings can light up again. But if you try this approach, typically the volume is, is way turned down. Yeah, that's so true. Because like you said with cigarettes, it doesn't really work when you have a little bit. You have to go all in. And I would imagine that the benefits of, say, a smoker, for example, you know, breathing better, feeling feeling better, that outweighs, you know, wanting to go for a cigarette. And I'm sure it's the same yes. thing with diet. And and if you goof up, forgive yourself. I mean, there was frankly never a smoker who su succeeded at quitting the first go round. And and let me tell you a secret: I was a smoker myself um, back in the 1980s when I was a resident at the George Washington University Hospital. Uh, our hospital sold cigarettes in the gift shop, and I bought them. And my head of surgery would buy Marlboro's and I was buying Merit menthols. And, you know, we would light up going to the doctor's lounge. Uh, you know, this is not good. I, I know we weren't stupid. Um, we, we just knew it took time to get cancer and we were under stress. And, and eventually we all quit. But, but um, what I discovered is, is that um, sometimes it takes three or four tries or 25 tries. Um, and... I became a, I, I, I followed a V, I, I started a vegan diet the same year as I quit smoking. And let me tell you something, going vegan is really easy <laughs> compared to quitting. Quitting smoking is hard. Um, I mean, you've got that nicotine in your blood and, you know, and, and when you go into withdrawal, it's tough, but what's a vegan diet? A vegan diet is don't have meat chili, have the bean chili. Don't put the Alfredo sauce on your pasta, put the tomato sauce on your pasta. I mean, this is like not rocket science and you'll get plenty to eat. You can have all the tastes from sweet and sour and, and, and spicy. And, and one other thing, and, um, and forgive me for running on about all this, but when I grew up in Fargo, you know, we ate roast beef, baked potatoes, corn, 
on special occasions, roast beef, baked potatoes, and peas. I mean, it was a very restricted diet. Now on a vegan diet, what can I do? There's an Italian restaurant down the block here where they'll make an angel hair pasta with a rabbiata sauce. They have pasta e fagiolo, lentil soup, minestrone, beautiful salads, stuff I never had in Fargo. There's a Chinese restaurant where they got rice dishes, tofu dishes, vegetable dishes. There's a Thai place, Vietnamese place, Ethiopian food. Um, all the, uh, there's a sushi bar where you, you can go to a sushi bar and get miso soup and seaweed salads and a cucumber roll, asparagus roll, sweet potato, uh, not the fish rolls, but the, the vegan ones. And if you told me, no, you can't have any of that vegan food anymore. You got to go back to your Fargo, North Dakota roast beef, baked potatoes and corn. Like, oh, give me a break. And my diet now is so much more varied and tasty and delicious. I just wouldn't go back to those things. It's funny because people will say, oh, you're really sacrificing all that food going vegan. But no, I, I'm learning about new vegetables and fruits that I've never eaten before. And that's I can 100 percent relate to what you were saying. Um, what are your thoughts, Dr. Bernard, on like the new like Beyond Meat burgers and like kind of um, how should I say it? Like the more processed yet uh, transitional vegan foods out there, um, they're becoming very popular and more brands are starting to create them, um, which I think in a way it's helping people eat more plant based. But uh, what are your thoughts on foods like that? Yeah, I think you yeah, I think you use the perfect word. They're transitional foods. Um, uh they're methadone. So if you are if you are an, a heroin addict and you go to the clinic and you say, I cannot be shooting up heroin anymore, you know, give me some methadone. Methadone is a narcotic that will ease you off the heroin, you know. Okay, so you are a, 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 a meat eater who says, I gotta knock off the weight. I don't wanna have a heart attack. I'm sick of erectile dysfunction. My diabetes is out of control, help me. Um, so uh, Beyond Meat or something like that, that that's a transition food. Um, it tastes like a burger and you can put ketchup and mustard and pickles on it. And you can toast the bun and your seven-year-old kid will think you are so cool for having this environmentally friendly burger. And it's, it's great. Okay. Over time, what you discover is that the transition foods kind of give way to simpler foods that you might not have appreciated so much at first, like beans you know, and, and vegetables and fruits and, and simple foods. But I think I, I think that's their purpose. Um, if you are following now a totally healthy, clean vegan diet, I would not go to Impossible Burgers and stuff because they've got too much fat, especially saturated fat. They're not as bad as they're not as bad as a meat burger, um, but but your simple vegan foods are are better. But I've got to salute all the places that are bringing in these these transition things because they are helping meat eaters to see there's 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 a a, a pathway that's better for them. Yeah. And, and not only that, but in, in a way, it's helping um, animals and the environment as well. It's having less of an impact. And I know many of my followers, and I'm sure yours as well, uh, care about all those aspects, um, which, which you know, in, in a way, I'm, I'm fine with it. But like you said, if you're already on a healthy diet, you know, no need to start adding Beyond Meat uh, to your diet. Well, let me, let me say this. First of all, those are great motivations. Um, and I think they're important. And we see this in our research studies. People come in to see me only because of health issues. They've got diabetes and they want to get better. So we'll use a completely plant-based diet for that reason. But after about two or three months, um, we, in our discussion groups, it always comes up. Somebody says, you know, Dr. Barnard, this diet, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but this is a great diet for the environment. And this is a great diet for the animals too. Did that ever occur to you? You know, of course. Um, you know, Americans eat a million animals every hour. And they have a terrible existence, as I can say, as someone who contributed to that when, in my early life. Um, so that's a great motivation. And, and the, the other thing I really like about those motivations is that if a person is just on a plant-based diet only for their health, they might kind of cheat a little bit now and then. But if they feel like the weight of the earth is on their shoulders, or if they think about this is an animal in my sandwich, it, they just don't want to cheat. They, they don't want to. And that's, that's good. Um, but let me say this for any, anybody who's gone on a vegan diet and they, if they say I'm only doing it for the animals and I don't care how unhealthy the thing is, you know, I'm going to eat something, you know, that's full of coconut fat or something. Let me, let me encourage you to, to, to follow as healthy a diet as you can, because I want you to be a role model. Um, if you don't look healthy, um, or something bad happens to you, other people are going to look at you thinking the diet's bad. So you got to be healthy uh, to be a good, uh, a good propagandist for your diet. That's perfect. Yeah, well said there. 
Um, Dr. Bernard, maybe let me ask you a little bit of a personal question. This is something that I get as a nutritionist. I'm a nutritionist. And sometimes, you know, people will claim that my bias for, you know, wanting to not harm animals um, kind of conflicts with my recommendations as to why I promote a plant-based diet. Do you ever personally get that or any of your, you know, medical staff? And how do you deal with that? Or, um, or... Oh, it's, it's very straightforward. Um, this happened with tobacco a, a generation ago. Um, there were people who were concerned personally um, about tobacco, and some of them were tobacco researchers. And they were convinced that tobacco was, it was deadly and they quit smoking. Um, and then so some other researchers would say, well, you're biased. Um, when you're doing your research studies, you're a non-smoker. And so how are you going to be fair um, in this? And what they had to say is, wait a minute, my bias is I'd love to light up a cigarette right now, but my head tells me that it's not a good idea. And so I'm going to do this research uh, as well as I possibly can. My biases. I grew up with a plant-based, with a, with a meat-based diet. My mom gave it to me. My dad raised cattle. Um, I drove cattle myself um, to East St. Louis and all my family was involved in it. And they made money um, doing that. And my very first job was at McDonald's and I liked all that stuff. So I had all those biases and I guess they're still there inside me. But at some point your brain takes over and it says, rethink this. Um, and so, as I mentioned earlier, the same year I quit smoking um, and I stopped, you know, eating any kind of animal product. And so my, you tell me what, what, what my biases are. Um, but when we do research studies, um, for example, the NIH trial I was describing, or we just finished a trial, a study now where we brought in people and compared a vegan diet to a Mediterranean diet. When we do those things, we have to do our very best to have the results, um, the, the numbers have to be crunched by people who don't know what group people were in. And so you, you, you have to accept that everybody has some kind of bias. And in fact, in any kind of research study um, of, of any type, people have they have a pet hypothesis that they want to see work out. So all scientists know this, they accept it. And so you, you try to, to work your, you try to blind the study um, to the extent, you can't always do it, but you do your best. Right. Yeah. And like I said in the beginning, that's why I think your story is, is so amazing. Where you came from growing up on a farm to becoming a founder of a very health conscious and vegan organization. And I, I salute you for that, Dr. Bernard. Well, well, let, let me be clear. I mean, there's a lot, frankly, everybody has, has done something like that. Look in your, in your own life. Um, you know, you, you, weren't, you weren't read vegan uh, stories by your mom when you were three years old. And Colin Campbell, who wrote the China study, grew up on a dairy farm in Virginia. Uh, Caldwell Esselstyn, who's just been a great genius, a surgeon at the Cleveland Clinic, um, grew up on a cattle ranch uh, in New York State. <clears throat> and uh, I mean, this is true of everybody. Um, when we when we were little, who talked about climate change? Who talked about the, the idea of being kind to animals? Um, who talked about coronary atherosclerosis? I mean, these these were these were, these were things that just weren't on our radar. We thought I'm, when I was a kid, I thought, well, if you're 40, you're old, so you're gonna have a heart attack. Um, when you're 60, you're practically dead. So you're going to get Alzheimer's disease. And that was just the way we thought. And now we realize that heart, heart attacks come from eating a meat-based diet to, to a large degree, an unhealthy diet. And there are things we can do about Alzheimer's disease too. Uh, the body is still fragile, but um, these foods contribute to all these things. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know what? You're not just a medical doctor. You're also a musician, which maybe some people do not know. But um, Dr. Bernard, can you talk a little bit about your band Carbon Works? And, um, you know, I have other musicians on as well. And I always like to ask, you know, what, what do you think about music and the connection with expression and activism, especially with the work that you're doing? How do you think that relates? Oh, that's funny you ask about that. Um, yeah, um, actually, all right, uh, switching gears. Um, I, when, I, when I was a kid, growing up in Fargo, um, I'm grateful to my parents for many things. But one of the things that, that kind of stuck with me, when I was six, my parents said, a civilized person has to be able to play a musical instrument. Um, and so we all, my mom had five kids, we all had to play the piano. And before school, we all had to practice. Um, and that was the thing. Um, and then when I was nine, I think it was, my mother said, well, a civilized person should really play two. 
instruments. So I had to play the cello. And so every Thursday I had my cello lessons and all that. So that's what we did. And then the Beatles came in. And to me, I thought, now that's music. To heck with you, Beethoven. Uh, you know, Paul McCartney's my guy. And so I took up the guitar. And um, that's the way it was. And when I was in medical school and every, I've always played in bands and I've always written music and stuff. Um, now, for better or worse, um, there's a lot of problems that need to be addressed in this world. And so that's what I'm focusing on. But if I do have a couple seconds of free time, I, I to this day, love writing and, and recording. And, and in fact, I just, uh, I've got some new material coming out very soon that I think is very cool. But anyhow, Carbon Works, the name comes from the fact that we are carbon. And these are our works. Um, and so um, I was uh, at, there's a jazz club here in DC called, uh, called Blues Alley. Um, and there's a, a, a guitarist named Chris Thomas King who came through. And he's kind of the, the, the heir apparent to B.B. King and B.B. Uh, King, Freddie King, um, that kind of music, uh, the blues legacy. And he just knocked me out. And after his performance, I grabbed him and I said, man, I, I, I said, what are you doing this weekend? And he's a really nice guy. And we got we went into the studio two, two days later and we started recording this really off the wall stuff. Um, and then one day I was uh, jogging and I was listening to a, a European radio station. I hear this most beautiful voice ever. And it was a woman named Naif, N-A-I-F, which is French for naive. Um, and so I got a hold of her and it turned out she's Italian. And she came to the U.S. and we started recording. And so anyway, I put together this band of just, in my view, the best musicians you have ever heard. And so we put out an album. Our last album was in 2016. And you'll see, if you go on, um, go on YouTube, you'll see we got lots and lots of videos there. And, uh, and we have uh, a whole bunch of new ones that are going to come out. It takes me forever to finish a record because I'm too busy with other things. But, but uh, I hope people like it. Totally. Yeah, I've heard your stuff. I love it. I mean, I'm a guitar player myself and music has always been a big part of my life and connecting with certain messages. And I think it's so cool that you guys are promoting the very similar work that you're doing at, at PCRM with with advocacy and you're translating that into music. I, I think that's awesome. And um, uh, do you guys ever play live? I'm just curious. Can people go out and watch you at shows? Um, probably never. Um, um, I, Frank, I would love that when I was in medical school, I love, I, you know, I was medical, I was a good medical student. I mean, I concentrated, but at night I would be at the clubs playing and I, I gotta say there's, it's like eternal adolescence. It's so fun, but I have to say, um, now at night I am doing the work that we're doing during the day. Um, most of the time. So I'm not doing too much of that. Um, but we do get together and we, we record these things and, and I hope, what you said is true. Some of my music is just music, um, but um, some of it, I if I can't reach you in your brain, maybe I can reach you in your heart a little bit. There's a, a song uh, that you'll see on YouTube called Samurai. And I don't know if you saw it, but it's um, there's a little girl. She's the sweetest little girl. She's lying in bed and she's dreaming. And she dreams that there's this rock band that has come into her bedroom. And the guitarist, who's me, gives her her magical sword and she becomes a samurai who has decided she is going to save her animal friends. And it's, it's a, a, a cute story. But the other thing of it is this song is a real rocker of a song. It's in a very difficult time signature. It's in 15, eight time. So it's almost impossible to play. Um, but when you put this cute little samurai girl with this raucous music, it fit together so nicely. And, um, and we have that. And there's another one called louder than words, which is, um, these are about animals. And frankly, they kind of undo some of the, or I hope they undo some of the bad stuff that I did to animals when I was a kid with a shotgun in North Dakota. So hope, hopefully they might have some benefit. Yeah, definitely. Well, keep up the good work. I, I'm looking forward to listening more music and, and, and actually more work from you as a physician. Um, to, to wrap this up, Dr. Bernard, uh, where can people go to connect with you and um, find out more about what you do? Well, thank you for asking. Um, we're all over social media. Our, our website is pcrm.org. That's Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, pcrm.org. Oh, by the way, go there because um, look for this. You'll see this image. This is the book that I was mentioning earlier, Your Body in Balance. But when you click on that, you will see that there is a tour 
I am going out on the road starting February 4th, I think it is. I'm going to New York, Baltimore, D.C., and then all around the country. And I would love it if people join me. Um, and to tell you truth, my biggest hope is that people will get this book and share it with other people who don't have any of this knowledge. The 15-year-old girl who's doubled up with cramps, the 34-year-old woman who's concerned that she might be at risk for breast cancer like her mother or her aunt, um, or the guy who's got erectile dysfunction or prostate cancer or hypothyroidism. Let's make some noise. Um, but we're we're on all the social media um, uh, networks, and I hope people join us and forward our message and make some noise of their own. Very good. Well, uh, Dr. Bernard, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Feel free to come back anytime. Love to have you on, and it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Well, great talking to you, too. And by the way, so pretty soon we're going to have results out on these studies that I mentioned, the, the vegetarian versus Mediterranean study and a couple others. And maybe we could do a follow-up at some point. I'll, share, I'll uh, share our new findings with you. That sounds great. All right. Well, thanks. Thank you for all you do to get the word out. You will, have, you will never know how many people you will inspire, but I guarantee you're going to save lives. And I really appreciate you doing that. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of This Is Bananas. To learn more about this episode, check out the show notes over at Bananiac.com. That's B-A-N-A-N-I-A-C.com. If you're looking for easy and nutritious plant-based recipes to make at home, you can download my ebook, Bananiac Simple Vegan Recipes, from my website as well. It includes 25 of my favorite whole food plant-based recipes that I make and eat every day and will hopefully help you eat more whole plant-based meals as well. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, please rate it wherever you're listening to it. Share this episode with someone who could benefit from it. Leave a comment with your thoughts and subscribe to This Is Bananas as well as my YouTube channel Bananiac, which you can find at youtube.com slash Bananiac. This helps me become more discoverable and ultimately reach more people with my work. If you'd like to donate, please visit patreon.com slash Bananiac. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast and supporting the one man band that I am. Until next time, everyone, take care of yourself spread the word and we'll see you in the next episode. Peace.